Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 24. It's funny, I have to look over at it. Like, I just said it, and then I'm like, I had to look over before I got it wrong. But we're going to be talking about Mycroft today, yep. because voice assistants are cool, but uh, I think some people, rightfully so, are nervous, because having the listening device in your room that sends, you know, sends it out to the cloud somewhere seems like something maybe you'd be a little bit concerned about and yeah. want to be cautious about, but that's where Mycroft comes in. So we figured, you know, this is right up with the self-hosted podcast because it's self-hosting your own system to be able to do this. So that's uh, pretty exciting for sure. Yep. The, uh, I have Jay here. So welcome Jay. And of course, yep. Josh from Minecraft. So we're excited to get this started. Uh, someone said there's no audio uh no other people said all right sorry distraction i was making sure everything seems to be working we all can hear each other so it should be it should be work, working perfectly fine sorry yep. about that <laughs> yep yeah it scared me like i mean it's probably a linux pulse audio issue honestly if i had to guess <laughs> yeah so we're not going to go there we're yep. not going to talk about that <laughs> no problem all right i see people saying we have audio making sure because we do this live for those of you that only listen to us the podcast we do this live as well so uh, we have both audiences all right now, the first thing we have to do is thank a sponsor of the show so we can you know, get some bills paid here, and that is the Linode. We have been a Linode user for a long time. If you're listening to us, if you've been on the uh, website, the Home Lab Show, it is all hosted over Linode. Uh, Jay takes care of all that, setting it up and configure it, which is also, uh, if there's ever a problem, I just blame Jay. It's easier. Yeah. <laughs> and last time there's a problem, it was a typo. So, you know, you know, the thing is, it happens to all of us. Nobody's perfect. I don't care how, how long you've been working in the industry. You'll make mistakes. That's never going to stop. You know, that's just how it goes. But uh, using Linode as a sponsor was not a mistake because it's been working out very well for me. On LearnLytics TV, the entire web presence is on Linode. So I've had quite a bit of familiarity with Linode. They've been a sponsor of that channel for quite a, a while now. So it was a natural fit here because, yes, this is a home lab podcast. But I think the beauty of home lab is that you can decide what you want internal and what you are willing to um, have in the cloud. And that is a you know an intelligent decision you make of and by yourself or your home lab. Maybe you have a VPN server on Linode or a, uh, a sync thing node where uh what was the name of that feature that it has on sync thing oh where yes the the private end. encrypted nodes yes that's another feature and if you want yep. something in the cloud and i've been working on and of course everyone's been asking when they're going to be ready is some new WireGuard videos and i think i'm going to use linode for all of the uh because i like building my own vpn servers you know you yep. can't trust these companies but you can trust yourself well, you can't trust yourself not to make typos sometimes, but at least you yep. made the typo, not another company. So, yep. And you know what you can do is is you can actually, since you are the VPN provider at that point, you could uh, manage the logs yourself. And let's be honest, I think the best way to manage logs for a VPN provider is uh, pipe them over to um, slash dev slash null, which you yep. can do on Linode. So that way, you know, all the logs go in a black hole, and you know, you don't have to worry about news from some provider making a mistake because you are the provider. You created the server, so you call the shots on it. Yep. And then uh, you'll be the first one to know if you get a takedown notice. It'll come to you. Yep, they will. I'm <laughs> not going to at your door. <laughs> Hopefully Seems not. Hopefully relevant this week for those of you following the news. But anyways, yep. before we get off topic, uh, welcome, Josh. Let's start talking about well, actually, Jay, Jay has to announce yep. something real quick. I don't want to skip. Yeah, that. I want to spend a moment to just make a quick announcement. I'm probably going to do a live stream. I don't think I'm going to do it this week. I'm, I still might. I might do it next week. But um, as of October 1st, Learn Linux TV will be my only job. 
So um, up until you know that date, I, I've basically been working two jobs. Learn Linux TV has become, I mean, I don't want to call it a job because it's a passion, but it, you know, there's a lot of hours spent you know, wearing two hats. And it's finally at the point now where um, I've gave notice at work. It was really hard because the company that I work for is amazing. So how do you leave an amazing company? It's really hard to do. But, but I had to because I'm only one person and I can only do one gig. So Learn Linux TV will be my only job. Um, which will hopefully mean more content. There probably won't be any difference until, I don't know, mid-October or something like that. But, you know, it's happening. So I'm, um, at the same time, I'm excited and a little scared, but, you know, I think it's going to go great. Yeah. And, you know, well, technically you kind of had a gig before because you did publish a book or two. So there's uh, yep. there's some other little side hustles Jay's got to keep the education content flowing. Yep. So. <laughs> Yeah, that and I, I consider the book a part of it, but also that that gives me more flexibility with books because um, maybe, maybe I'll write another book in the works. <laughs> maybe I will, and I won't have to spread my time so thin. I mean, there's some days I wake up at eight in the morning and I'm not done until eleven at night. So yeah, I'll be happy just being done at five. Honestly, yeah, it's it's hard because I do the same thing. I was playing with the I, I brought up WireGuard because I've been playing with so much WireGuard stuff, diving deep into it, getting ready because it takes a lot to to make the con to make tutorials really concise and short, you have to spend a lot of time understanding all the edge cases to create the most concise level of documentation. So it takes so many more hours to create concise documentation than to kind of ramble on about all the things I tried to get here. <laughs> and then you heard me complain last night off the air about the uh, current video I'm working on and how I can't reproduce the problem. It's working oh, fine. Yeah. So how do I make a video about a problem if I can't reproduce the problem? Anyway, yeah. uh, long story. But yeah, it'll be a, a new adventure for me. So I'm really excited for it and um i think there's big things coming so yay yep all right now on to the personal assistant that you can self-host this is this is cool and uh yep. it's you know i don't think we've ever had to accidentally go off during a home lab show but certainly when me and jay are talking uh there's a little box behind him and it has yep. accidentally just started talking i mean that's <laughs> and you'll see yeah i mean people that watch my youtube channel have seen it in the background for quite some time um i bought it like i think two years ago or more to do some videos about it um i didn't get around to it then because i had two jobs right so it's really hard i have to be very selective about the content that i do but now that that won't be a problem anymore you know the things that people have been asking for or that they have been asking for will be done because i'll have the time and you know for a year people are like well you have mycroft do some videos on it I'm like yeah but i have you know, other things going on. And then eventually I did this April Fool's joke that I hope people saw that uh, Mycroft was the star of the whole yes. video. Um, it was something that was like a guilty pleasure for me where I just did something that was completely different than anything <laughs> on my channel ever. Um, and I labeled it as a Debian review. You got a Debian review in that video. It just wasn't me reviewing it. It was Mycroft. So um, there's going to be a lot more content on Mycroft on my channel um, this year, actually, um, hopefully maybe even as soon as this coming November. So it's something that I've been using. But I think what we should do is kind of take a step back and let Josh from Mycroft introduce himself. Let yes. us know his role there. And he could let people know that have not heard of Mycroft what it is and what the goal is that it's trying to solve. Sure thing. Well, thank you very much for having me out, Jay and Tom. Uh, it's nice to be here. Uh, congratulations, Jay, on joining the world of the self-employed slash unemployed. Uh, uh, for me, uh, that leap took place uh, quite a while ago, but it, it, it was really similar to, to you know, what you're talking about. Is I, I had a passion, you know, in, in our case, 
uh, we were building a makerspace. And this is before Amazon Echo and before Google Home and, you know, Siri only existed on the on the Apple uh, in the Apple ecosystem. And, you know, I, I got some friends together and we decided, hey, we want to build, you know, a voice assistant for our makerspace. We want to build that that Jarvis experience from the from the original Iron Man. And, uh, you know, from that lowly beginning, you know, ends up being is now my full time job. I'm I'm my Title here at Mycroft is actually founder at the moment. We we found a CEO who has a lot more experience than anybody else at the company and brought him on a couple of years ago. So I get to go out and talk to folks like you and to to uh, customers and and the, you know the community and talk about what makes Mycroft special. So that's that's my role here now. Um, yeah, the the self-employed thing is great. Uh, you know, it's really an exciting adventure. So I'm, I'm excited to see you, you headed in that direction. Yeah, the yeah. whole, um, I, th I think the concept of the, the voice assistance, like I said earlier, is a really interesting one. And it's, it's all of, you know, when I was looking at anything sci-fi as a kid, and by the way, today is the Star Trek release anniversary. And, uh, you know, they talk to the computer and things like that. That was part of it. Um, yep. I think it was, Futurist really predicted it to be here sooner than it was. And of course, no one's seen it coming to become like a war between large companies and how much data they can uh, have on us as and maybe not be the best stewards of all that data. So that's why I think Minecraft is so cool because it's not that the concept of voice is the problem. It's the maybe who has control over it can be a little bit of an issue. And I think that's what you guys really solve. Yeah, I mean, when we got started, it was more about being open than it was about being private. But as you guys know, openness and privacy go hand in hand, right? If you can't see what's going on inside the black box, there's a pretty good chance that whoever owns the black box is keeping an eye is keeping an eye on you, even if it, even if it's just log files, right? And so, you know, when we got started, it was about openness. It was about having the ability to to have a device that you could do whatever you wanted to do with. Um, you know, you could use it, you know, install. Uh, you know, third-party standards on it, for example, you know, putting a, a Z-Wave or a Zigbee USB stick in the side of it and using it to con con directly control IoT devices. You know, that's something that didn't really exist when, when we first started shipping the Mark I. Um, being able to, to change the wake work, you know, something simple like that that you would expect to be able to do with your, you know, this is your computer, right? In your home, you should be able to name it Bob if you want to name it Bob. And, you know, that, that really didn't exist. And then from there, you know, it's it's gradually become apparent that the privacy is really a key in this technology. I mean, the we all carry around mobile devices that have two live microphones, you know, connected to an operating system that in many cases we don't fully control, um, connected to a network connection that we also don't fully control. And, you know, that monitored as, monitors us in most cases nearly 24 hours a day, you know, adding always listening microphones to your home that then send those same companies even more data about you is just, it, it, it's really a challenge for a lot of people. And and that's something that we're really excited to help people solve here at Mycroft. I'm excited about that. I've had some situations, um, I, I think many people have experienced this, where even without an automated assistant, some weird things happen. Like I was um, talking to or mentioning to my kids, we're going to a pharmacy or something like that to pick up a prescription. And then I'm waiting in line to, to get that. And I look at my phone and just pull up Facebook randomly. And then there's a, an ad for um, a pharmacy. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, um, and, that, and at first I'm like, yeah, that's a coincidence, but it keeps happening. And then 
I have a conversation about um, ADHD, which I've been open about that I, um, you know, have. But then I see ADHD ads. I'm like, okay, like, this is not cool. <laughs> like, um, you know, I can go off on a tangent on that, but I won't. I think that giving people control where they could say, yeah, I mean, Siri looks cool and, you know, Amazon Echo, that looks nice. But I'd rather just kind of do it myself, which is kind of the heart and soul of this podcast is people want to do their own thing and make their own decisions. And now they have an automated assistant that can be a part of that decision. Well, I think the other thing is being open source and it brings more community involvement into this. So it's not like I'm only limited to here's what the developer allows me to have access to. It's like, hey, I can look at it. I can tinker with it. I can start modifying it and do a deeper level of integration or generally it would, as it goes with lots of open source things, it gets contributed back. Like, hey, I started with this. Here's my contribution back. Here's a module, um, the add-on. Maybe someone else would like to do these things and these features. Um, but I want to get because we've been talking about this. So let's talk about how Mycroft actually works because obviously it's not running in some cloud somewhere. It's running locally. And as uh, Jay has over his shoulder there, a physical box that it's running on. So let's talk a little bit about like some of the hardware and software that runs it and how it does all that. Sure. So Mycroft is primarily based in the world of Raspberry Pi. Uh, there's a lot of folks that do have it running on desktops. Uh, and it can really run any place. Uh, the folks over at uh, RISC, um, we're converting it actually to RISC architecture. Um, you know, the, the idea behind Mycroft is that you can run the entire stack locally. So, you know, when you, when you look at a voice assistant experience, uh, it really consists of four major parts. Uh, the first is the wakeward spotter. And that's, a, in our case, a, a little neural network that sits there and runs on device uh, it's attached to the microphone. Um, you, you were talking about pulse audio at the beginning of the at the beginning of the podcast, and and yes, we have much experience with pulse and and uh, uh, also you know trying to get everything to to play nicely together. So um, uh, yeah, that that's been quite the experience on Linux. Uh, Linux so audio the, can be quite challenging for sure. <laughs> it can be, and and it, it it means that you have to you know if you're producing something that's consumer ready, it means that you have to you do have to take a lot of control for, you know, the, in that experience because, you know, the average consumer, most consumers don't want to show into their device to, to fix a setting or to chase down a, chase down a, a challenge. And, and Linux actually is great at that we've found. Uh, and, and so, so yeah, the, the wake word listener runs locally. It connects to, to the, um, it connects to the audio bus and, and listens for just the wake word. Right. So, so we have a, a, we have a sampling of, I don't even know how many samples it's, it's millions and millions and millions of samples of people saying, Hey, Mycroft. And, and we get those samples from individuals who make an active decision to donate their data back to the community. So by default, if you install Mycroft on a Raspberry Pi or on a Mark one, or if you've got one of the Mark two dev kits that we've been shipping, uh, it, it keeps nothing uh, and it sends nothing and we don't log anything like we, we do the absolute bare minimum that we can possibly do in terms of data retention to make that service work, right? And uh, but for people who do opt in, we're able to grab those wake word utterances and put them into a training algorithm, and then improve the wake word spotter over time. So it, it's not only open source from the standpoint of the software, but we also make that data set available to the public so that they can improve things too. Because you know, in the modern world. 
source code is really only part of the solution to providing a, a you know a modern experience for a web service right for almost any web service you use out there today machine learning becomes a part of that process and as an open source community we need to be able to we need to be able to uh, solve both of those problems right in an open and transparent way and so anyway so we have a, a neural network that listens to the microphone uh, it listens for the the wake up phrase which by default is hey mycroft but you can actually train your own wake words um, and then it puts the device into listening mode right and it listens until it hears a silence or until it and it times out um, and then it sends that data up for transcription right and unfortunately uh, you can run this entire thing locally that's without a doubt uh, but the transcription piece of it you know we're really heavily dependent on technologies um, like the 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 Mozilla voice stack where you know building a full language transcription engine is actually turns out to be a, a significant challenge uh, I think that those guys have have started a the guys from the Mozilla project have started a new company called uh, uh, Koki uh, which also does full language transcription and and as I recall was open source um, so the the audio sample gets sent for transcription and turned into text and then it gets sent to an intent engine uh, we have two intent, in, intent engines. One of them is a neural network-based engine called Pedacious, and the other one is a, a, a known entity rules engine. And what that transcription engine does is it, or what the intent parser does is it grabs that that text and it figures out what you're trying to do by extracting objects from it, right? So if you say, turn the lights on in the kitchen, it looks and it says, you know, turn lights on. Okay, that that's an IoT intent. Um, you know, the objects are lights in kitchen and the position is on and it, it returns it as a JSON structure, which, you know, the an IoT skill on the device then goes out to the network and, and performs the action. Uh, if it's not an action you're asking for, so if you're saying, you know, what's the height of the Eiffel Tower, uh, it goes out to, uh, in that case, it probably would go to either Wolfram Alpha or Wikipedia, uh, gets the data and then creates a, a verbal response. And then on the mark, Two, it also puts up a, a what's called a card that might have a picture of the Eiffel Tower, right? And so all of that stuff takes place locally. Um, by default, we're, we host a transcription engine or we host a proxy for a transcription engine. So it sends us the audio sample. We send that up to a third-party provider, transcribe it from our IP address, right? Not from yours. Uh, transcribe it and then send back the text and then nuke the log. And then, of course, you know a lot of the services you're accessing are also online. So if you're if you're asking for the height of the Eiffel Tower, it went out to Wikipedia and got the data. However, if you were just asking it to turn, turn the lights on, and you're running an instance of uh, Mozilla's Common Voice or Mozilla's uh, uh, speech transcription engine somewhere on your network, uh, you can run that entire experience, you know, with without sending any data at all to the internet, which is is pretty exciting. I hope that that made. Yes, no, it does. And I, I want to unpack a couple of things. We'll start with the um, the neural nets in the programming of those. Like you said, there's source code is one side, but it's the training sets that you use to build that. Um, those are really, it takes a lot to train them. I've actually, I don't write code like that, but I've been to some deep presentations on it. And it's actually kind of interesting um, how 
like watching how the I've seen some of the most basic demos and how they keep stacking on top till you build this incredibly complicated training set. Uh, that's it, it. It's interesting, and the amount of data it takes to get that accurate is kind of cool. I also like that you said that by default it's not sending uh, some of that data because that's obviously as Steve gets him. I've always liked the words he used: the tyranny of the default. Because if you leave it at the default. It's kind of a problem because it will just automatically send it and opting out. They sometimes make buried. So the fact that you have opt in for like the trigger word one for improving it, that's actually pretty cool. Um, and the last thing is the uh, connectivity, those engines that it does send data to. So you act as a proxy to each of those, you said, and then it's your IP address each time um, that actually does it. And then you say you nuke the logs afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, the, the best uh, speech transcription out there by, by, by far, right, is the, the transcription engine that Google provides, right? Because they have access to so much data. And so the question becomes is, okay, how do we use that engine without, you know, giving away all the secrets to, to, you know, all your secrets to Google? So there's two things that we do to protect the users from that. So number one is we're doing the wake word spotting on the device in the, in the home, right? So, you know, none of the audio, unless it's been woken up, none of that audio is being sent anywhere, right? It just, it, it, um, it runs through the neural network and then to dev null, it just disappears. The only segment that we actually send up for transcription is between the wake word, when it senses the wake word and when it times out or when it, uh, when it hits the, uh, when it detects silence, right? And so we send that up to our server and then our server sends that to a third party. By default, we are using Google for that. But of course, you know, the only thing that Google's got visibility of is the audio sample itself and our IP address, right? It has okay. no idea that it's coming from, you know, uh, somebody who's using Mycroft in McMurdo Station, Antarctica, or somebody who's using Mycroft in, you know, Stockholm, Sweden. And, uh, you know, we, we eventually want to be using uh, a speech transcription engine that, that we actually run, right? And so... You know, we've done a lot of work with the Common Voice folks over at over at Mozilla. You know, trying to improve those tools. But but as of today, or the last time we checked it, the the Mozilla tools weren't. They didn't have full language uh, uh, speech or speech transcription that was accurate enough for these technologies to work. You know, the the, the key enabler that made it time for the voice assistants today instead of 1985 or 1968, right? The key enabler was uh, speech transcription engines that are north of 95% accurate, because anything below that and the thing just it, it just doesn't it do, it it's become so frustrating for people to use that they they don't want to use it. You know. Yeah, they'd rather just type it at that point because you 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 know computers uh, rely on that level of accuracy. They have to understand it. I think the thing that not everyone realizes is when you mentioned it, intent, uh, Google. If they have done such a good job of n people not realizing how good their AI systems are in understanding intent. Um, it was when I had seen a demo and this goes back a number of years ago when they did this, it was, if you ask it something like, Hey, how old is like Clint Eastwood or some actor? And then all you do is the next question is how tall is he? And it, the intent goes, Hey, you just asked about this uh, person. So you must also be asking about the height of that person. So it's almost like this whole natural language to try and figure that out. So that, that, uh, object and then intention of people, because that's how we speak. We don't always restate each thing. So we can say, uh, turn the lights on in the living room. 
And then we might say, and in the kitchen, when you can start getting to where it's so seamless to where human language doesn't have to be as precise, it's more natural. I think that's where these things, you know, we're converging there slowly, but that's when the, the average person who's not listening to this podcast that just, you know, the non-techie user really starts to enjoy these things. And that's, that's really hard to get to people. If you're not familiar with how coding and programming works, you don't realize how hard it is to understand the intention and parsing out the objects of language to really understand what someone wanted to say. And I think that's going to be a challenge uh, for probably a, a somewhat foreseeable future of uh, getting all that to work together. I'm assuming that's like you said, figuring out those objects to figure out intent can be tricky. Yeah. And, and one of the cool things about, about the modern world, right, is that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, you have the, the team at, at uh, Koki and the team at Mozilla working on open source speech transcription, right? And then you've got Alex over at RASA, right? RASA NLU, which is, uh, they were based in Europe. I think he moved to San Francisco. He got a bunch of funding, but it's, a, it's an open source uh, uh, natural language processing engine, right? That allows you to do exactly what you said is to create speech, uh, stateful, uh, uh, speech transcription, where it keeps the state of the conversation and allows you to add follow-on questions, right? And in that case, once again, it uses it uses machine learning to figure out what the intent was, as well as object parsing and 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 things like that. Uh, and so, so yeah, that the you know the one of the inspirations behind Mycroft was, you know, the the original Mycroft stack was like. 75 lines of python if that it might have been 30 lines of python and it was sending everything out to third parties just to make it work in that case we used wit ai which was later bought by by uh, facebook for for the nlu uh, but yeah like it, it went from that to what it is today you know a, an in, where we we actually have the wakeward spotter that we we built you know we do some of the nlu stuff we're looking probably to add rasa to that stack sometime soon you know, we do the speech uh, synthesis, so now I can swear. Like, if nothing else, we're the only, we're the only, <laughs> we're the only voice assistant that you can actually make swear at you. Um, well, that's the reason you know, it right there. I mean, just there you go, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and, and so the the uh, uh, you know the the idea was that that we could use third parties for a lot of these and just tie it together into one experience, and then as those third party technologies you know become more open and more capable in the open source community, we can you know, we can include them as, as options. And then, you know, the, it becomes the, the person using the technology. I hate the word user because it's, well, I hate the word user because it's very, it, it, it has a lot of implications that are closer to the um, opioid crisis than to mm. technology. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, so it's up for the, to the customer who's, who's, you know, you know, making use of that product to decide which ones they want to use, right? Like the, there's there's speech synthesis engines from the bigger players that have better prosody, cadence, tone than, you know, our engine, uh, our Mimic Mimic 2 engine that we, we built. Uh, and so if they want to use that, that's great. And, you know, they make the decision as to what the privacy trade-off there is and, and what the trade-off is with usability. And then we don't have a vested interest in whichever one you use, right? Like we, we want you to have the best experience possible. So, you know, by default, we want to ship something that's as private as it can be while providing a great experience. And then if you want to open that up and use, you know, um, build a Rasa server for the NLU so that you can have it do cool stuff around, you know, medical, right? Like if you're a hospital um, and then you want to use, you, you know, the Alexa speech synthesis engine for speech synthesis. And, you know, you want to get rid of the wakeward thing entirely and use a push button instead of a instead of a wakeward. You can do all of those things inside the stack 
which is really what we wanted to do from the get-go, right? And and facilitate people doing all kinds of cool stuff. I, I think what's cool too is, as we said in the beginning, being very open source means we can look inside of these devices, so to speak, at the yeah. software level and understand exactly where the data is going. Uh, the yeah. the devices um, made by all the other companies are just they're as you said black mystery boxes of we don't get to know what they do they tell us they do one thing and then later some security researcher goes hey did you know there was this extra thing inside of here i think well, I yeah one of them had we'd found something else inside of there and uh, their answer was well it's not activated yet and we're like wait it's got a what i think was it the nest that they found a microphone in that we didn't know yeah. It was mm, yeah. yeah and it's like that's interesting that wasn't on the box <laughs> yeah and uh, uh you know facebook you know, just last week got got fined by Ireland like two hundred plus million dollars for, you know, using WhatsApp data. I mean, WhatsApp, an app that was really designed for privacy from the get go, um, you know, using that in, in inappropriate ways. And, you know, when it comes to VPN, there's another example, you know, Facebook bought a VPN app called uh, Anovo, right? And, you know, then turned around and used the VPN data from their customers to, you know, better target Facebook advertising at them. And eventually, when they got busted, they had to shut it down, right? And so, you know, the the uh, uh, you know the the big Silicon Valley companies, you know, and you, I'm sure you've heard this, right? If if uh, you know if you're not paying for it, you're probably the if you're not paying oh, yeah. for the product, you're probably the you're product, probably the product, right? yeah, and yep, so, absolutely, yeah. They monetize our existence. It's as simple as that. That's their business model. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing that I don't understand about the companies that do the things that you were saying is that they get caught every single time. And, and if you use common sense, it's like, you know, yeah, you have your, your general people that use computers and they're not really looking for anything, but there's always that person, right? That's doing a packet capture. It happens every single time. There's like 0% possibility that somebody somewhere isn't going to do a packet capture and find out where those packets are going because that's what people do in this field they they want to learn this stuff and here we have an open platform we don't even have to packet capture i mean you can but you can look at the source code you can find out exactly where things are going which is really great yeah that's that's exciting and you know the the for us you know the goal is not only to change this from the technology side of things like we're technologists and like we you know, we started this in a makerspace, like all the original Mark II dev kits, we printed them on the SLA printer behind me. Like, you know, we're we're young and scrappy, but but one of the things that we want to do as an organization is take that and turn it into something that's financially meaningful, right? To, you know, as as partially as a demonstration for the public, but also, you know, to return for investors, um, you know, that privacy, you can respect privacy, that people are willing to pay for privacy, right? And that, you know, Mycroft's based on a character from a Heinlein novel. And, and in, in that novel, you know, one of the phrases they use is Tan Staffel. There's, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? If you're not paying for the product, you're the product, right? If, if you know, the, another great example of that is the uh, Amazon Prime, right? So, you know, you pay for Amazon Prime for shipping. I don't know what percentage of the world does, but I'd, I'd, be susp I'd strongly suspect all three of us on this, in this conversation yeah. do. Yeah, <laughs> and and all all of a sudden it, it it includes streaming media, right? Like 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 that was just like a out of left field. Like I I paid a ship package, and now I can watch movies on on the TV. And and you know how do those things connect? And and the way that those things connect is that what you watch on TV and how you consume media 
tells a company a ton about you as a consumer, right? So, you know, the fact that I love The Expanse, that I've read all of the novels, that I've seen the entire Expanse TV series on Amazon Prime, you know, tells the Bezos crew a lot about me. And it means that the ads that I see, you know, all over the internet, the ads that I see on my phone, you know, those are targeted to me as an individual because they've learned about me by streaming media. It's not about entertaining me. It's about obtaining data about me. And the same person wants to put an always listening microphone in every room of my house, right? <laughs> and and for me, that's yeah. that's just an that's a non-starter. Like I I already sacrifice a lot of a lot of privacy with my phone and 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 frankly will switch to a pure Linux phone as soon as one comes out that that has the competitive features that I need, right? Yes. And and that same statement is why we're bringing a smart speaker to market, right? Because there's a ton of people out there who are like, hey, I love the idea of a smart speaker. I can play my music. I can listen to the news. I can ask it general questions. It can help me do the math, right? Like when people struggle with doing math in their head. Uh, and I'm waiting for something to come out that's private and has competitive features. And so, you know, that's what we've been trying to bring to market, you know, with the, the Mark One, which was our our first kind of development device. And we're really for guys like Jay, right? Like, you know, people who are willing to hack around and break out the command line terminal and reflash it from time to time when things go south. And then the Mark II, which is envisioned as being a, a real consumer device, right? That my mom can take it and put it on the counter of her kitchen and have a great experience, have it auto update and, uh, you know, be able to use it on a day-to-day -day basis and not worry about, you know, who's got that microphone turned on and is listening to them 24 hours a day, so. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I would say it also gives you the option kind of talking about like the content curation. Um, one of the reasons we provide full RSS for our podcast is so you don't have to use some type of feed aggregation service where those aggregation services will determine whether or not you can listen to that podcast because that's been the new thing. You know, some of the podcasts that get popular and Spotify has been guilty of this. They buy exclusivity so they can get more people that are following audiences and being able to just go, nope, we want to be able to put these feeds, curate them, pull them directly in on a device makes it, I, I kind of like that. That's kind of another compelling use case. I didn't think about it as much, but that's one of the reasons I don't use those uh, for it. I usually download the actual files, whether they're AUG or MP3 to listen to my um, podcasts. That's cool. Yep. I like that. And, and speaking yeah. about, I was going to say, speaking about my experience with Mycroft, because when I did the April Fool's video, I also did a, another video where I'm actually having a conversation with Mycroft back and forth. And I was able to do that. And I, never, I don't think I've ever talked about how I did this, but I, I was able to SSH into Mycroft. So already that's a win. Like if I can SSH into a device and poke around, um, that's great. And it wasn't like I was in some kind of jail or anything. Not that that necessarily would be a bad thing. I mean, I still, as long as it's open source and I can expect the source, um, that's fine. But I was able to just run all the normal Linux commands. And then since it's open source, like I didn't know how to talk to Mycroft to get it to say what I wanted it to say rather than what, you know, it's programmed to say. But I just used SSH and then I found this, I think it's the speak module in, in the Python implementation, if I remember correctly. And I was able to type out what I wanted it to say. And then I would have my finger on the enter button and I'd be talking to it and I would time pressing the enter button exactly to when I wanted him to respond to something that I was saying. But I was able to do that because nothing was hidden for me. And I think that's um, was my favorite part of that experience. Yeah, and, and for that application, there's a couple of cool things that, that happen. Number one, you can always tell Mycroft, you know, say, you know, the moon is green, right? And he will he will repeat back whatever you say. Now, 
you, you are kind of at the mercy of the transcription engine there where, you know, in that case, you won't swear because the transcription engine that by default, uh, you know, won't return swear words. Um, but you can absolutely swear from the CLI. And, and having spent a lot of time on the CLI, I do swear when I use the CLI. Um, you know, and and the the other thing is catching, and and this is kind of cool a cool feature that we've been working on over time. You know, as we get those those audio phrases, we don't know who they came from, right? Like we just have the original text and the transcription, right? Um, but we can cache those, you know, by by getting a fingerprint, shoving them in a folder, so that if somebody else asks for the weather in the same location, you know, and or you know the weather is the same, right? It's seventy eight and sunny. Um, that gets cached to a folder and we can return it instantly without having to synthesize that data. Um, you know, and over time, our goal is to have, you know, as many of those phrases cached as we possibly can um, locally, ideally, so that you don't even have to go, you know, when it says, hey, it's 78 and sunny, it's actually grabbing a local OGG or um, probably an MP3 probably compressed, um, you know, and playing that back in the speaker, right? Um, you know, but to to do the types of things we're doing you know, we definitely need to get a lot bigger, right? And and that's one of the things that we're we're really working on. We need, you know, we have about five percent of the of our customers opt to share their data, and that's actually more data than we can process today. Um, but we we need to build that community and make that community bigger, both from the standpoint of people who are donating their data, people who are are volunteering their time to go and tag that data. That's something else that we've been we've been in the past we've had running. And we're looking to relaunch, you know, the ability to to play that audio file back and get somebody to correct the transcription for people who donate their data, um, and then feed that back into the machine learning engine. And and then also, you know, finally for us to be commercially relevant, right? Which which for us is a is a big deal. You know, the the uh, you know voice is the fastest growing segment of the technology sector. Uh, the adoption of smart speakers actually eclipsed the adoption of smartphones in terms of its velocity. You know, if you remember back in 2006, we all had flip phones and then fast forward like three years and everyone had a smartphone, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's the same thing with voice. It's that, you know, a few years ago, nobody had a, had a smart speaker in their kitchen. You know, today, you know, for people who who are part of the general ecosystem and haven't thought through the privacy applications, you know, it, it's almost, you know, it's, it's becoming nearly universal adoption. And, but there's still this one big segment and, and it turns out it's about 20% of the public, right? Who, who want a smart speaker, right? But don't want big tech spying on them, right? And so, so that's really who, who we're building this technology for. And, you know, one of the things we're doing as part of that is, is raising money, right? Which uh, right now, you know, we, we looked at that and said, you know, at every step of our process, how do we be community focused, right? So when we launched the company, we did a Kickstarter for the Mark One, uh, which we delivered about two years later. Um, and, you know, we built it on Raspberry Pi, we built it on Python, and we did a ton of focus around building community. That's what, what Ryan Sipes did when he was here before, you know, he moved on to Mozilla to build big, even bigger communities. Um, you know, when we went out to raise money, the first time we used Regulation CF crowdfunding, uh, which allowed us to, to take up to a million dollars and we end up hitting the statutory maximum from community members so that we could be a community funded project so that we wouldn't be beholden to like three venture capital firms in Silicon Valley, the way that a lot of the other companies are. 
when we decided to launch a consumer device, we did an even bigger Kickstarter. And actually, you know, in the inter intervening time, the SEC has changed the rules and and you can now raise actual significant money using RegCF. It's no longer capped at a million. You can now raise five million. Um, so we're actually out raising money today, uh, raising the next five million so that we can ship, you know, the Mark II, which is the consumer device that we've been shipping dev kits for for a while, uh, and then also become relevant, right? Get the the assembly line started, getting mass production started, you know, getting out there into uh, uh, big box retailers, right? Making sure that, that you can get a Mycroft at the, you know, at the big box, you know, whether it's JB Hi-Fi in, in uh, Australia or Carrefour in Europe or Walmart here in the United States, that, that you can go and, and grab a Mycroft off the shelf, take it home, plug it in, and that everybody can have that private experience, not just, you know, those of us who are willing to get into the CLI. Um, so that's really exciting. And I'll speculate that we will not be buying this with our Amazon Prime accounts. <laughs> no, the, the, uh, we, don't have, we don't have plans to be on Amazon. We do have a product on Amazon right now, though. Uh, Mycroft was approached by a patent troll about a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, instead of paying the $30,000, uh, the $30,000 demand, uh, we decided to litigate. So, so we're about a half a million dollars into litigating against this patent troll. And, and one of the things that he's done is, you know, at every step when, when the broader Linux community has given this guy a hard time on time, uh, on the internet, a guy by the name of Todd Toomey, um, uh, and he looks exactly like you'd expect a patent troll to look. Uh, <laughs> <Just> evil. <laughs> yeah, like 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 the three buttons of his, uh, his his like a formal picture. He's got like the three buttons of his shirt unplugged with like the hair sticking out, uh, right? Like, I yeah. Say, um, I have the uh, I have a picture in my head of Shrek. I don't know why. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Shrek is friendlier than patent trolls. Yeah, he is pretty friendly. Yeah. So at, at every and I, I'm hesitant to even mention the guy's name online because I know he's going to go whine to a federal judge that we, that I mentioned his name online, right? Like to me, the <laughs> troll. Uh, so anyway, uh, so people would give him a hard time, you know, and, on online and, uh, and he would go whine to a federal judge about it. So we looked at it and we said, you know, we want to talk about patent trolling in general because it's just really terrible for communities like us that we're spending hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars fighting patent trolls instead of, instead of building technology. Uh, and so I wrote a children's book. It's called uh, Mycroft and the Patent Trolls. It's available on Amazon. Uh, you know, it's it's also available directly on our website. And if you buy it on our website, we get we get 100% of the proceeds. So, you know, please go there if you're going to buy one. It, it's actually a great little book for, for kids. And it explains, you know, what a patent troll is and how to battle patent trolls uh, in a way that either even a five-year-old or a member of the U.S. Congress can understand. Uh, and so anyway, so if, if you have a, a kid and are looking for an exciting story or you just want to, you know, give it to a patent troll, um, you know, please, that we're, we, we did that as a fundraiser, partially as a fundraiser, partially to raise awareness. Um, but yeah, Minecraft and the Patent Troll is the only product that I'm aware of that, that we have on, on Amazon at the moment. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're out raising money at Start Engine. Uh, you know, folks can folks who are interested in supporting and backing small companies, uh, you know, in that are open and private, you know, this is probably a, a something that you might want to look at. And 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 one of the other kind of cool things about that, and one of the things that big tech has taken away from us, right, is, you know, back in the '90s when people started a company, um, you know, they went public fairly quickly, right? Starbucks, you know, just after a couple of years, you know, Amazon actually is a great example. Amazon went public in 1997. 
And if you'd have invested in Amazon in 1997, you'd have made 120,000% return on your investment, right? Because at the time, they weren't really worth a whole lot, right? right. Uh, fast, fast forward past the dot-com boom and, uh, uh, you know, all of the uh, – uh, uh, or Sorbanes-Oxley and all of the, the legislation. And all of a sudden, companies like Coinbase, when they go public, they're, they're already worth like $50 billion. So, you know, the Silicon Valley insiders got all of the huge gains, right? SpaceX still isn't public, right? The, the Silicon Valley insiders got all of these huge gains and, you know, the general public ends up being the guys who buy it at the end. So one of the other things that we're, we're excited about and one of the reasons we're raising funds through the community is giving people the opportunity to be here early to the party as opposed to, you know, five years from now, us going public and, you know, having had all those run-ups for insiders and then, you know, at the end of it, the, the public only gets a, you know, a, a modest return. So, um, so yeah, lots of community type stuff going on from fighting patent trolls to raising money to uh, shipping the Mark II, which should come just as soon as we, uh, as soon as we start the mass production line. And, and the design for that is done. And we've actually shipped, I want to say 300 dev kits out to folks, um, you know, with, with laser cut plastics and, uh, and, and folks are having a pretty good experience with that. Yeah. Um, something I want to cover, because we've talked about technology and the, the business model. One thing is, talk a little bit, says we probably should cover this beginning. Like, how do you set this up? So you get the device. Do I need one for each room? Do I need to buy a few of these? What's what's the layout? And uh, what are some, well, Jay could probably talk to some of the integrations, because I know he yeah. can turn his lights on and off with this. I'll let Jay talk to the integrations. But describe the layout for us a little bit, of like how we would set this up if we wanted to get started. So, you know, I'd recommend starting with one, the same as, you know, any piece of tech, right? And make sure you're happy with it. Uh, we don't do a lot of the sound synchronization stuff that you see from Sonos. And then I guess Sonos sued Google for, for stealing their tech so that yeah. Google could do it, where it, it synchronizes the, the audio across multiple speakers. Um, you know, it sits in the corner um, or on a, a tabletop. Uh, the new one has a screen. So, you know, the screen faces the room. And then, you know, we spent a ton of time on the setup process with the Mark II working to make it really consumer friendly. So, you know, in, in that case, you turn it on, uh, it sets up a little Wi-Fi hotspot, you connect to the Wi-Fi hotspot with your phone, um, you put in the credentials for your Wi-Fi network, uh, it tears down its local Wi-Fi hotspot, connects to your network, uh, generates a pairing code, um, you then go to our website and pair it. And, um, and then of course, you can manage the settings from our website. Um, I will say that the web portion of it, which is called Selene, right, which is our back end, uh, is all open source. So if you wanted to run that back end locally on a server, you absolutely can pull it down and we would have no visibility of that device at all. However, Selene is like four or five virtual machines all working together and networked and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So for an average user, um, it, it's probably better to, to use our back end and then you know, that's that's the piece where where we're looking to make sure that we communicate to Staffel, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. And so, you know, our goal is to get some percentage of our customers uh, to actually pay for using that back end. And that becomes how the company supports itself long term instead of advertising and spyware and all the other stuff that the Silicon Valley companies do. So, yeah. And I think awesome. paying for a service is fine. Like to me, because it's clear 
uh, it's always so convoluted with the big companies of what they're monetizing and what they're charging me for because it's it's a hybrid model with some of them like Amazon. I pay for Prime, I get things, I also get spied on, and they monetize my existence while also charging me for Prime. But I like the free shipping and I like watching the expanse. But at least I don't yeah. mind though, like saying All right, I pay for this service and this is what I get. To me, uh, an example, and we've talked about it before, I believe on this uh, show and I've talked about it on my YouTube channels, like Bitwarden. It's free. It's open source. By the way, we have a license fee. Could you hack the source code and take it out? Sure. But why? It's really, it's very reasonable. I don't mind paying for the development of that product. We use it commercially here at my business. And uh, to me, that's like a great trade. I know what I'm getting. I know what I'm paying for. The license fees are reasonable. And I'm like, perfect. That's, I'll pay you for the service and I'll enjoy it over here. I know it's open source, so I can always look inside to see what's going on. Um, And I know they're not trying to find another way to monetize, like selling some data they know about me. Um, That to me is just a better it's an upfront exchange. It's a, oh, we, we can call it an old school traditional business model maybe, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, think, I think that's something our users will be comfortable with. <laughs> I think the important thing, the important takeaway in my opinion is that um, it's a choice that, that people make, or I should say it should be a choice because the idea works out because if you don't mind your personal information, if you know exactly what's being recorded and, and how, you know what's going going on there, you make that decision for yourself. No, I, I'm not comfortable with that. So I'm going to just not use that product or I, I'm okay with that in exchange for the value that the product gives me. But then what we end up finding is that, you know, there's a microphone in a, a device we didn't know about a one time. I don't know if it's Google Chrome or Chromium itself was activating the microphone and, and didn't let anyone know. And then Facebook gets in trouble for, um, you know, recording likes for even those people that don't have a Facebook account. So at this point, it's really hard to say it's a choice. It should be, ethically it should be, but I feel more comfortable with a device that I can you know, access myself. Yeah. And I think with the Mark II, that makes sense because you know, if you are not a tech person at all, you know, that's just not your thing, then a, a set it and forget it device is great because that's what the Amazon Echo tries to be and, and is. But if I get an Amazon Echo, it might check the boxes for 75% of what I want it to do. And I think people are, you know, they just use it for those things. And if it doesn't do something they would prefer it to do, they, eh, it doesn't do that. So they just don't. But the, for the people that are into this kind of thing, they want to look at the source code and either write their own module or they want to just see if someone else has written the module, then they want that control. So the set it and forget it device can become something more for someone that wants more and at the same time, they're in control of, um, you know, where the data goes there. And speaking about integrations or the skills in Mycroft, I, I think we'd be doing a disservice to it by not mentioning that. Because when you get Mycroft, I mean, it has some capabilities out of the box, which, are, which is awesome. It does a lot of things. You can even tell it to or ask it to tell you a joke, for example, or the weather. And there's all kinds of things you can have it do. But you could download skills, and in, like an example of that is volume. I think it's volume, volumeo, or vol, I can never say it right. Volumeo. Yeah, it's, it's it? the software that you could run on a Raspberry Pi that makes your Raspberry Pi a jukebox. You just plug speakers into it. You get a web console. You just point it to your, you know, your MP3s or whatever, and you could just click on it, tell it to play a song, and it's awesome. But then I found out that there's a, there's a skill for Mycroft to hook into that, so I could say, hey, you know, name a personal assistant play Lacuna Coil. And guess what? It does that. It hooks right into Volumio, starts playing that, 
And then there's Home Assistant integration, which I plan on getting into. So then, you know, I already have the automation set up. I don't need to do that again. I just need to hook Mycroft into that so I can tell Mycroft what I want it to do, turn on the kitchen lights and, and have it do that for me. Um, you can even tell Mycroft, uh, you have to be careful because um, on my unit, there's a 10-100 Ethernet. But you could say, run a speed test. It'll run a speed test as long as you know you're not paying for more than the hundred megabits. But um, <laughs> you know, but, but you know, as most people in the United States, we are lucky to even get a hundred megabits online. Let's be honest. <laughs> but but you could say, hey, run a speed test, and as long as you're not paying for a gigabit connection and you're within that, um, you know what your speed is. You don't even have to open a browser. There's all these cool things that you can do that I, I think is you know adds a value to everyone, even if it's a, a beginner or someone who doesn't care about computers or someone who loves technology, wants to become a programmer, or already is one, um, they can, you could dive as deep as you want to, and you can integrate it with whatever is available, or just, um, even if you're not a developer, say, hey, because someone, I got this idea, is anyone keen on helping develop this thing, and, and we have that capability? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that, and one of the reasons we based it on Raspberry Pi, right? So the, the Mark II, actually, there's a little door in the side that you can pop off, uh, it exposes the USB ports and the Ethernet port, right, for the Pi. And so, and that's based on a Pi 4, which has a gigabit LAN, right? So you should be able to run that gigabit speed, speed test off of okay. the Mark II if you plug it in. But the USB ports are also important, and that's especially important in the context of, like, Home Assistant. So, you know, Home Assistant, you know, runs on Raspberry Pi, right? And they, I think they do sell hardware on their website, but they're really not a hardware company. There's a software company, right? And so... One of the things that we're really excited about with the Mark II is the ability to add a Z-Wave USB stick, you know, run, add the Home Assistant skill, and then use the Mark II as your Home Assistant hub, right? Because, you know, one of the things that that we found with smart speakers, everybody was looking to be like, you know, smart things and all these other companies wanted to be Revolve, which got bought by Google, wanted to be the IoT hub of the house. And, and what we found is that it, it turns out that the smart speaker is the thing that makes the most sense to have as your IoT hub. Uh, but of course, you know, the the offerings from the other players don't necessarily let you hack and do all the things that you want to do as somebody who has IoT, uh, you know, a, a, a Z-Wave set up at your home. And so, you know, being able to run Home Assistant on it is really crucial. And, you know, for us, you know, the, the, the whole idea is to facilitate innovation, right? We, we want people to create these awesome skills that do really great stuff, be able to share them out with the community, um, you know, be able to, to get traction within that community. And then ideally, at the end of the day, you know, we would provide a platform for other companies like Home Assistant that, that want to, you know, expand their, their footprint, you know, so that they can have a platform where they can make money without being you know, beholden to these big tech giants that change the rules and demand 30% of every payment and so on and so forth. So, and we've got a couple of those, you know, the guys at Chatterbox have used Mycroft to build a, an educational, uh, it's not really a toy, it's a it's a little educational robot that kids can use to, to learn to program. You know, they've got a drag and drop programming interface for that. The guys at Cubo in Barcelona have integrated Mycroft into their, their robot. Uh, some guys on Kickstarter, uh, Lumicube, which is like a it's almost like a, a Rubik's cube, but all the all sides are LEDs, and then it's got like orientation and accelerometers and stuff in it, and does all these really cool things with this LED cube. You know, they integrated Mycroft into it. Um, so yeah, it, it's really exciting to see 
you know, our vision really coming to reality with people taking this and hacking it and doing, doing cool things with it. And, you know, we just provide that foundational component, you know, the, the basic voice experience, the skills abstraction. And then, you know, as we start mass production, you know, a reliable piece of hardware that people can use to do whatever they want. Right. That's awesome. Like how long, and and I think this is already possible, but correct me if I'm wrong, but how long until I could just log into my Debian desktop and just say, you know, hey, Mycroft, open my home folder and uh, bring up my notes <laughs> file, right? Because we, all these tech companies, I mean, Microsoft, I think, is getting away from Cortana, but, um, you know, they they integrate that into into the operating systems. Like, we already have that, you know, we could, it, it, we could download it and run it. So is that something that is either A, possible, or B, that, that it um, maybe will become possible? I, I think people are already doing it at some level. The guys at KDE have done a huge amount of work around Mycroft, right? Um, AIX over there, you know, built a plasma TV that uses Mycroft as the as the primary navigation. Mm. Uh, and, the, and then, of course, because the, the way that Mycroft works is everything is sent to a message bus, right? So the, the audio transcription is, is dropped onto the, you know, the, audio, the JSON structure that comes back from the audio a transcription and i believe the audio the the text itself is dropped onto the message bus and then the skill picks it up and what that means is that you know interacting with mycroft over the cli is probably even easier than interacting with it over voice right you just type the you type in whatever you wanted to say and it runs away and does what it's supposed to do and so i believe that there already are several desktop integrations for mycroft i i won't speak to how well they work um but on a on a desktop it should work actually if it's set up properly, it should work better on a desktop than it does on our device, because of course you've got more memory, you've got more storage, you've got you know a lot more processing time. You've probably got um, you, you know a network stack that's that's um, faster, um, you know. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, I know I've seen a number of desktop integrations, and I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more. Um, unfortunately, we don't officially support any yet, but we are working to get from here to there. That sounds like amazing. we're switching to KDE desktop, Jay, so we can do this. <laughs> you know, I, I will say about uh, the KDE Plasma desktop, I, I love GNOME, but it, it happens all the time where I look at the release notes for a new Plasma version. I'm like, why didn't anyone think of that? Why didn't anyone think of that? Like the, the time they came out with a feature where you can pause or skip music that's playing without unlocking your computer because, you know, the controls are there. And I'm like, you know, just playing through my playlist and, you know, maybe um, Coldplay is playing and then a corn song comes up. I'm like, I need to pause that button for the swear word start because my, um, you know, my young child is in the room with me. Oh, crap. I forgot my password. <laughs> and anyway, um, they come up with some really awesome things. And I guess it's just uh, par for the course for them to integrate some kind of, um, you know, integration with mycroft that's pretty cool yeah, yeah it's I, it's been exciting they, they they and their team's done a lot of work in it so i was gonna say one of the last questions uh that i really have that i think is important um i know looking at the stats of my channels here me and jay get about 50 percent of our audiences in the united states uh what are the languages currently supported in mycroft and what are the future plans on around that Okay, so right now we've got English for certain. I know that there's been a ton of work in the German community uh, around Mycroft and then uh, interesting Catalan, right? So, you know, one of the communities that, you know, the Cubo guys, um, you know, are building that robot in Barcelona and one of the communities, you know, we, we traveled uh, two years ago before COVID and did 22 cities over the course of a year. And in every city we went and met with 
you know, people who are interested in open source, people who are interested in startups, uh, and, and talked a little bit about what we were doing at Mycroft, both from a fundraising perspective and from a technology perspective, and got tons and tons of great input from people all over the world. The Mark One shipped to 56 countries, right? And I think that we're, we have a similar number for the Mark II who have purchased devices. Uh, we've built an abstraction um, uh, uh, called a Lingua Franca, which allows uh, speakers of people who speak two languages and I'm, I'm an American. So like the idea that you would put like four languages in one head is just crazy to me. <laughs> I know, but, you know, but most, common most once you of, get outside of America, <laughs> yeah, yeah, most of the world can handle that. Just, it's just not me. Um, you know, if you speak more than one language, you can go into lingua franca and help to translate uh, all of the prompts and all of the intents from uh, any language that lingua franca supports into any other, right? So it's not just from, from English to Spanish and from English to Russian. If the only two languages you speak are Russian and Spanish, you can translate from Russian to Spanish, right? Okay. Um, so in terms of official support, you know, today it's, it's English, right? Um, but there is a ton of work going on to expand that support into other languages. And, and actually, once we get that tool set really dialed in, and it's one of the things we'll be doing with this upcoming round of fundraising, um, you know, we, we plan to do a big push in internationalization uh, because, you know, ultimately it's a community project, right? And if the yeah. community wants to, if the Catalan community wants a smart speaker that speaks Catalan instead of Spanish, um, you know, it's up to that community to make that happen. You know, we provide the supporting infrastructure. We provide, you know, a turnkey device. Um, but, you know, it, it's a community project. We're, we're not Amazon and we're not Facebook and we're not Google. We don't have hundreds of billions of dollars to spend. Um, you know, importantly, unlike those companies, we're also not under indictment by all 50 states, the federal government and the EU. So, so that's good. Um, but, uh, 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 but yeah, we, we need the community to help us get from here to there. And, and the quid pro quo is the community helps to make it go. Right. Yes. And we make it and we make everything open so that they can use it how they choose to use it. And that's really the trade off, um, you know, between the community contribution and, and what we as a company and, and what our, our investors are, are doing in terms of supporting it financially. That's awesome. And being that it's Star Trek Day, I was uh, hoping you'd say it, it spoke Klingon. Cause, but I imagine with the, the right community that likes devices like this, it would be a matter of time before it learns Klingon. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, uh, I, I, you know what? Like one of the things as the founder, um, I'm constantly looking, you know, I, people ask us, does Mycroft do something, right? And I'll run a web search and find out that somebody's doing it, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it, it would not it would not surprise me at all if somebody had done uh, – had done some kind of skill that that allowed Mycroft to to speak Klingon. Although, for, from what I've read, Klingon is not the most useful language for anything other than <laughs> wanting to fight with somebody. Yeah, no, that, yeah. which maybe I mean, why not just fight with your Mycroft? I mean, that's that's a fun. They can just yell at it. I'm I'm <laughs> hoping that there's not a time where where Mycroft responds to everything with "I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave." Yeah. <laughs> another oh yeah. Another sci-fi reference I had to throw in yeah. there. We're old enough to know those ones. <laughs> yeah, like the 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 HAL nine thousand version of Mycroft. You know, the uh, there's just so many places that the that, that it can be used. I mean, let's let's take that as an example. Here here's my thing. So you think my good friend in Seattle, who's you know started shipping books and is now shipping everything, right, and has a rocket company. 
do you really think that his voice assistant is not going to live on his rockets when he starts, if he ever gets one of those into orbit? Um, and I'm going to put a big if next to that statement. Um, you know, and if so, like, you know, the other billionaire putting things in space, who I'd like to point out does have things in orbit, yep. uh, <laughs> needs, a needs a voice assistant for his rocket and importantly, his cars, right? Yes. We would love we would love to talk to him because, of course, you know, lots of machine learning capabilities on those vehicles, a big Linux stack running the center console. Um, you know, we would love to be the the voice, the the alternative voice assistant for our 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 friends at uh, our friends at the electric car company as well. Yeah, so. and I'm positive he does not want the other places <laughs> device in there. <laughs> exactly, in his rocket or in his car. So yeah, either one. Uh, he doesn't want that anywhere. Yeah, uh, and so and and you know the the cool thing about where we are today versus where we were 15 years ago. You know, automobiles had voice technology in them 15 20 years ago like the, you know the almost every car out there right yeah and it just sucked so much right and so you know and that's why people didn't never use it or almost never used it and, and you know these things have come along so far today that you know having a, a voice assistant that's custom customized for your your car is a reality now i mean it's something that, that people can and should do so you know, I am looking forward to somebody on this podcast going back and, you know, loading Minecraft on their Raspberry Pi, installing it on their car, teaching it to speak Klingon so that yes. they can speak Klingon to their car and swear at other drivers in Klingon <laughs> and have it perform oh, whatever man. whatever functions. Right? This seems I, I like the perfect yeah. nerd project. I'm, I'm all in on this. So <laughs> I, I have to just put this out there because, you know, if you or anyone else makes it compatible with cars and you don't do the voice of Kit from Knight Rider, you are doing it wrong. You absolutely have to synthesize that voice. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the cool thing about the new neural networks is that once you get the voice trained, like it's just one, one additional layer of training to make it sound like a specific person, right? And so yeah. then, then, it, then it comes down to like intellectual property and licensing and all that other fun stuff. But um, you know, that, that's the type of thing that, that on the monetization side of a project like ours makes sense, right? So if we're if people are paying us a monthly fee for the privilege of using Minecraft, what do we give them, right? right. And so maybe maybe the answer is celebrity voices, right? And the celebrity gets a small cut and a small cut goes to us to support the, the company. You know, um, we'd love to do music, right? Um, for whatever reason, Spotify is refusing to work with us, talk to us, communicate with us in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but there are a bunch of other music streaming services out there that we would love to attach to the back end as part of what you get for a monthly fee, right? right. And uh, and so yeah, like like celebrity voices like Kit um, would be great. Uh, celebrity voices like, well, heck, Jarvis from Iron Man, yeah. like like I'd love to have love to have that. Um, oh yeah, you for know. Sure. That was actually the name of my Mycroft assistant for the longest time. And I only changed it back to Mycroft when I did that first video because, you know, it's I'm doing a video and I don't want any trouble about that name. But, you know, I, up until then, I was literally saying, hey, Jarvis, for everything until I switched the name back. And you could change the name. I think we mentioned this earlier of Mycroft to something else if you want to call it something else. Yep. And uh, and then, you know, eventually I'd love to get into paid skills. Right. And so the the that developers out there who are doing really cool things, um, you know, one of the things we've been batting around the idea of is that we look at the number of uses an, an individual skill gets, you know, the same way it is a, as a, a one of the Silicon Valley companies looks at the number of ad views, right? 
um, you know, not tying those back to any individual, you know, within our privacy policy in some way that makes makes sense. Uh, and then compensate the people who build the most popular skills with a percentage of the a percentage of the monthly revenue, right? And and these are the types of things that that in my view, right, uh, really need to exist to make open source consumer facing software, right, relevant in a world where everybody else is willing to give everything away as a as a supported service, right? And so you know, coming up with a facility that allows people to pay for what they're getting, to make sure that the developers who are developing things can support themselves, um, you know, and innovate, I think is really, really critical. And it's something that that we're excited to be experimenting with here, you know, with with Mycroft. And yeah, like, you know, maybe that that Klingon speaking car, you know, costs, you know, that, that skill costs 50 cents a month and the developer gets to, you know, gets to continue expanding the Klingon language. Maybe they, they connect it <laughs> They connect it to an airsoft auto gun on the roof, right? Using a, a paid auto gun skill. You know, there's just a there, there's a lot of really really cool stuff that can happen. You know, once things become open. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has been great. This is a yeah. fun conversation. People can obviously get started at uh, is it mycroft.ai. I'll leave links in the show notes uh, where you can buy one, donate, buy the book. I actually dropped that link in the uh, live stream, but we'll make sure we leave that that book thing and we'll leave a link to your site. It's really cool that for the patent trolls because, man, patent trolls they are they are a burden and they do tend to go after the smaller companies to get precedence to go after bigger ones. So they're a, they're a drain on society, like an innovation. Yeah, they are. I am a member or I subscribed to the Mycroft newsletter some time ago. So I, I saw the news about the, um, that individual, what they were trying to do, um, hit the newsletter and then what you were doing in response to that. And I just smiled. I'm like, yes, this is great. You know, this is exactly what I, I would never want them to be in this position, but if they were, this is exactly what I want them to do and they're doing it and they've done it. So, um, I think that sets an example for a lot of companies because I think litigation um, disrupts innovation and that's our biggest problem. Yes, constantly. Yeah, that's a challenge. And yeah, folks who want to support it, we'd, I'd love to sell them a copy of the book. And then, you know, people who want to get in to early stage technology companies, you know, have a, a little bit of money to spend, not their entire retirement, just like a small percentage of it. Uh, and want to come along for the ride as an investor. We'd love to have them, uh, you know, head to Mycroft AI, hit the invest now. Um, you know, it's really rare that companies in our space effectively go quasi-public this early. So maybe it's an opportunity to, to um, you know, to come along for the ride with us. Yeah. Well, this is awesome. And thank you for joining. Thank you for sharing all this with us. This is a fun learning experience. I I, yeah. I, I kind of knew the surface from watching Jay play with it. But boy, it's uh, much bigger than I thought. I think our audience kind of learned a lot about it, too. <laughs> yeah. Really cool. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, you have sat through another episode of the Home Lab Show with uh, this time with the Hey Minecraft. So, thank you everyone for joining and uh, signing off. Until next time, next week, everything's still on schedule. Now that Jay's, you know, dedicating his uh, time to content creation, we're going to have a pretty steady schedule of releases every week here. So, yep. thank. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you next time. Thanks.